This program is brought to you by the Gin Society, www.ginsociety.com. Hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host, Shane Lee. Today on the show, Peter Fitzsimons, former rugby union player, he has pulled on the green and gold jersey seven times. Now an Australian author, journalist and television presenter. He's been the chairperson of the Australian Republic movement since 2015 and is regarded as one of the best sporting journalists in this country. And Paul Smith, current chairman and owner of the Sydney Kings basketball team. He's a current founder and also chairperson of the TSC Group. Paul has built a multi-million dollar business empire through the sale of sporting sponsorship company Repicon in the US. Let's get started. Okay, we'll get started on the show today. Peter Fitzsimons, former rugby union player and regarded as one of the best sporting journalists in the country. Welcome, Pete. Thank you. That's a very kind introduction. There you go, mate. Please go on at length. (laughs) (laughs) And Paul Smith, the current chairman and owner of the Sydney Kings basketball team. And the Sydney Flames. And the Sydney Flames, yes. So welcome, Paul. Thank you. I didn't realise Paul was rich. Can you give us some money for the Republic movement or what? (laughs) Well, I'm not rich, but I'm I'm generous. Right now, I'm making a lot of donations in basketball. (laughs) Okay, we we need you at the Republic. (laughs) Well, we're called the Kings. Does that counter to the interests of the Republic? So, Paul, how does a guy from... Varilla. Varilla and being a furniture sale salesman in Wollongong yeah. go to running a multi-million dollar business in the US? Uh, well, it's uh, knowing my limitations and that the main limitation I had was uh, intelligence or, you know, discipline and uh, being interested in sport. So, look, the short version is I just stumbled into the fact that there was a course at Wollongong University in Associate Diploma in Sports Science, which was uh, intended to be a pathway for mature age people or people with talent in sport to move into university. So, in my cohort there was James Grant and Andrew oh, Eddinghausen. Really? They're all in my in that course at Wollongong with me. And that just started a process and then I started a company called TSE back in uh, nineteen ninety four. 11 occurred. Yep. In two thousand and created a lot of pressure in the marketing environment and that started to raise questions around the uh, validity and value of sponsorships. Not an area of expertise for me at all, but it was in, incredibly important to our business to address it because brands were asking, well, what's it worth? Mm. And uh, and we stepped out on a limb and tried to address that. And in 2004, I started Repicom in Sydney and that precipitated a like a crazy journey mm. and uh, that resulted in 2016 where we sold the company. To Get the to the part where you made millions. <laughs> Get to the good part. Well, like, you know, I know we're going to talk about mental health today as part of our yes. story and I'll tell you this story here, which I've shared in other forums, is that what should have been the happiest day of my life was the saddest day of my life. And the emotional cliff that I fell off post that sale. What, having to walk away from? I don't know. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know why it happened. And as I said, like, I woke up the morning of the transaction, after the transaction, the money's in the bank, literally, and I pulled the doona over my head. Wow. And I didn't know what was going on. And I went into an awful tailspin for, and I blamed other people. I blamed the Nielsen company. I blamed this. I blamed that. I didn't address it myself. And I realised that I hadn't prepared myself for the irrelevancy syndrome that hits you post the sale. So all the things you strive for become irrelevant mm. on the basis that why aren't I happy? And I probably had a little bit of the dark side in me always because it's always like I think it partly drives you a bit, but it just got out of control. And once once that thing breaks out, I'll never put it back in the tube. Yeah. Can I, Shane, this yeah. is your show, not my show, but, right, I, but I can't resist breaking in. Mm. Is it in the public domain... 
how much you sold it for. Is yes. That, what, yes. How much was it? Uh, it was uh, 195 million US dollars. Right. Excellent. I want a big donation for the Republic mm. movement. The other yep. thing is the German <laughs> philosopher Nietzsche. Mm-hmm. One, one of my favourite lines from him is he talked about, open quote, the melancholy of all things completed, mm-hmm. full stop, close quote, that when you come, my wife always notes that when I finish a book, I'm mm. partly joyous that, you know, I've done it, I feel mm. good about it, and then she reckons I go through two or three weeks of being down because wow. because I finished it and you don't have mm. that sure direction when you get out of bed every morning. For me right now, I wake up, right, five minutes and I'm, I'm into it. I'm writing a book on the Opera House at the moment. I love it. It gives me direction. One of the reasons I'm a bit tight for time today is yeah. I've got a couple of columns for the Herald but I also want to make time to do it. So I've got absolutely firm direction and, and when you've lost that yeah. direction. Mm. Mm. It's interesting you're talking about the value of sponsorship. Mm. Where, Pete, where's where's rugby union at right now in in your, in your head? How can we fix it, and what would you do? Lost and bleeding, just behind yeah. Uluru right now. I mean, the thing about rugby union in Australia is in terrible trouble. Against that, worldwide, it's in robust good health. The the fellow that runs international rugby at the moment is a guy by the name of Brett Gosper, son of Kevin Gosper, who he was when I was playing in France in the 1980s for Breve, he was playing for Paris. So I know him quite well. And last time he was in Australia, he said, you've got to understand, rugby is boom time across the world, everywhere but here. Why are we struggling here? A couple of reasons. One is AFL turned into the monster that ate everything. You know, they are yeah. they were a joke in Sydney in the nineteen eighties and people like me said they'll never make it and I was wrong. Yep. And you know, they're they're serious. Two teams in Sydney, um, and they're really well administered. You know, I'm a firm believer that the AFL is the exemplar of how to run a sport properly. That to build the pyramid, you need to build your base very, 100%. very wide. The mm. peak will look after itself. Rugby, when it went professional, put 95% of its resources into the peak of the pyramid without worrying about the base. The other thing Aussie Rules does is they put something in the water south of the Murray yeah. that makes people go completely and utterly gaga for and Aussie by membership. And they've got it. They live it. They don't just follow a sport. They mm. live the sport. Mm. You know, if their team's playing within 50 kilometres on a Saturday or Sunday, they're there. And mm. But so rugby union at the moment, I mean, I'm told, Andy, you know Andy Hayden, the All Black yeah. that died not long ago, a couple of weeks ago, second row. I was on New Zealand radio, national radio, about three months ago, and I said, rugby in Australia is in real trouble. We're never, we're never going to, we've got to stop thinking about winning the 2023 World Cup or the 27 World Cup. We've got to build our base, forget about the elite. I put the phone down. Andy called me and said, you've got no idea. He said, your under-21 team is the best in the world up there with France. If you keep mm. them together, you've got world beaters. Yeah. So there are, there are, you know, green shoots coming through. And the Kings building the base at the moment? Um, well, basketball generally is, a, is a, at a, I, I guess, an inflection point in regard to the fact that, you know, we've, you've got the, there's the global sport of basketball, um, which probably is the NBA, and then you've got these you know, layers below that. And in Australia, where we're at right now is, you know, we're only scratching the surface. Mm. And I think that we, the general health of the game is good. There are still a lot of economic challenges for, in the sport of basketball, both men and women in this country. But that's primarily driven by the television environment and the lack of a broadcast deal. And so, therefore, the, we've got a very fundamental economic model the articulation between basketball Australia, because I, I think one of the unusual things about Australian sport is it's it's the, the role of government. There's no church and state model in the United States. You'll find church and state, mm-hmm. USOC, they do their thing, and then the NBA, the NFLs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and you've got this sort of merging layer of college sport as well. 
which flies through that. But in Australia, we have a very government-influenced and direct sports structure and funded for that matter, and thankfully so. And so how we sort of make all that work together, and as I consistently say, and I'll say here and I've said in other forums, is that Sydney Kings and the Sydney Flames are not basketball New South Wales. Mm. We're not basketball Sydney. We represent the, the tip of the iceberg and the aspirational element and the more real we can make what we do, the more relevant we can make what we can do to kids and young men and women in Australia, then in Sydney, then we become a pathway for them to say, I'll go through the system to get to that level. Whether they get there or not is another issue. If you're the tip of the iceberg, yeah. I'm the iceberg. So right. I, I'm just down the road, 100 metres from where we are, is the Crow's Nest Indoor Sports Centre. Yeah. Northern, Northern Suburbs Basketball Association. I ran. I was president of that for four or five years. I've been playing with them for 25 years. They're still getting years. over it, by the way. No, no. But, but, <laughs> we're, but we, we, I've been playing with the Lizards for 25 years. And in terms of mental health, yes. you know, mm-hmm. I love that. With my friends, we, you know, about, about 10 guys my age, every Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And... I think that basketball is the sport for the 21st century, much more than cricket and much more than rugby. Because that indoor sports centre, for $3 million, we got four courts. Mm. You know, and mm. with those four courts, they're busy from 7 a.m. till 11 p.m. With the youngest is five years old, the eight, oldest is 85 years old. They're in constant use, upkeep not that much. Whereas cricket, you know, you're talking half a day or a day. Yeah, you're you're, you're, you're talking huge amounts yep. of space yep. Yep. in terms of doing it. The upkeep to keep the greens, mm. and you know, and, and then the rain comes down and the games are mm. cancelled. Basketball is the sport for the 21st century. I appreciate that, Pete, and I agree. And I think my take on basketball is that it's, it's also a lifestyle. Do you play? I don't play. You can come and play with the Lizards. Mate, you come I, and play with mate, the I just had a double knee replacement eight weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I wish I could. I'm Defense. on my way back. Uh, Thomas, uh, our, uh, uh, one of our coaches has committed this year to help me with my, th- my three-pointers. But uh, no, I, I hear what you're saying, and, and my take is that here's the great man, tea. Stanley. How are you, mate? Tea, Stanley tea, from Lee's, Lee's Fortuna. Mate, brother. I'll take a green tea, brother. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Stanley. Stanley. Um, good to see you, mate. Yeah, look, on the basketball thing, it's my take is that exactly what Pete says, is it connects at all levels of ages and, and people are interested, they play it, they might hoop in their backyard, they might wear an NBA jersey, they might even buy an NBL jersey, they might buy a WNBL jersey, but we've got to make this game relevant to them and that's that's part of what we do, we're part of the process, so we don't see ourselves as an island in the model. It's a great game boys and girls can play. My, mm. my two daughters go to Sacred Heart and Mossman um, mm. and that's the main sport at their yeah. school, it's fantastic. Yeah. Let's take a break right now, and we'll be back just after this. Stanley, I think we'll have today, it's going to be pretty consistent, mate, what we always go here, some lamb pancakes, uh, a little bit of seng choy bao. I think we'll do a, um, be a fluffy seafood omelette, maybe some sizzling beef, a bit of fried rice, mate. We'll wash it down with some, uh, some nice O'Brien beer today, mate. Beautiful. Thanks, Stanley. It's no secret I love a gin. And one of our sponsors here, Lunch With Lee, is the Gin Society, which I happen to be a member of. When you sign up, they'll send you a full-size bottle of amazing craft gin, delivered to your door every two months, plus the latest issue of their beautiful gin journal magazine and a surprise gift absolutely free. Each gin is sourced by a team of experts looking for exclusive, unique and exquisite drops from around the world. A subscription to the Gin Society is your passport to the world of craft gin. No strings attached. Cancel any time. Check out the website, www.ginsociety.com. 
All listeners of Lunch With Lee can enjoy an exclusive $20 off their order when they join the Gin Society. Simply visit www.ginsociety.com and just use the code LUNCHWITHLEE20 at checkout. Spartan Sports is recognised as one of the world's most exciting and innovative sporting brands with a community focus. Our product range across cricket, rugby, football, volleyball, basketball and fitness has been developed to sell directly to any club, school, corporate or individual. Go to our website and order directly to your front door, www.spartansports.com. Spartan Sports, unearth the warrior in you. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. Peter, I was really impressed. Something you said a while ago, um, and congratulations on your on your weight loss too, mate. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but I remember you being really opposed to these fad diets and this, this yeah. sort of stuff, and you admitting and doing a total one eighty on your approach to, to health. And, and alcohol was a big thing for me. Yeah. I mean, I I, did, I was not an alcoholic, but geez, on a bad day, I could I could drink one under the table. I yeah. <laughs> and and my, I got a guy that when I was doing lots of corporate gigs would drive me back and forth. And he said, Senor, I've never seen you drunk, but I've seen you drink two bottles of wine. Mm. And so for me, the alcohol thing, um, I didn't stop alcohol because I had a drinking problem, but I stopped because I had a weight problem. Yeah. And, and somebody said to me, the magic words, one bottle of wine equals one Big Mac. So right. here at Lee's Fortuna Court, I would be inclined to have a big Chinese meal and wash it down with two Big Macs. And then mm. go home and have dinner, and it's crazy. Right. And the thing on on in, for, for me on losing weight, the you got all these ridiculous diets. You know, mm. you've got your Jenny Craig's, you have got your magic wobble. You know the wobble boards, late night TV. Yeah. Stand on this magic wobble yeah. board, eleven dollars ninety five. You can shake it off, <laughs> and you got all this stuff. Cures COVID as well. <laughs> and it's all nonsense. And the simple thing is this, Shane. It's the sugar. It's the damn sugar. Your great-great-grandfather uh, would have been having two kilograms of sugar a year because that's the natural human intake before mm. we industrialised food. You, as an average Australian, would be having between 50 to 60 kilograms of sugar a year. And to use the medical expression, it roots your system. It makes you hungry all the time. And if mm. you stop the sugar, you stop the hunger. And people say, well, how do you know if sugar's, sugar's in the food? The answer is, if it comes out of a cardboard box, it's got sugar. If it comes out of glassware, it's got sugar. If it comes out, if it comes yeah. out of wrapped paper, if it comes through your car window, if it comes out of a <laughs> vending machine, if it's processed, it's got sugar. If it's fresh, it ain't got sugar, mm. or very little in terms of fruit. And basically, if you cut the sugar, you cut your hunger, everything else works. And the thing is this, you're, you're, you're about 10 years younger than me. I'm yep. 59. I'm what are four, you? I've turned 47 on Saturday. Okay, so, so the game changes when you get in your 50s. A mate yep. of mine 
said to me, a very good friend of mine, Dave the Dentist, said to me eight years ago, and I was 152 kilograms, he said, have yeah. a look. Yeah, I was. I was. I was. He said, how many men your size are there who are 75 years old? And I looked around and I said, none. Mm. And he said, well, think about that. Do you want to live for another 20 years or do you want to live for another 40 years? I said, I want to live for another 40 years. Yep. He said, well, there's only one way here. If you stay at your weight... You will not make 75 running around. You'll be in the, you know, you'll be in clinics in the last five or ten years of your life. You'll be mm. stuffing around or you can be so fit you're dangerous. Mm. Get off the sugar. And, uh, you know, from, so smoking was an easy one to give up, you know, like yeah. for Christ's sakes. Okay. Show me somebody that smokes. I'll show you somebody who's got a health problem. Yep. I mean, I suppose I'm sounding like a reformed Reformed, <laughs> a reformed drunk. Hallelujah, Peter. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, no, but it's true. But right. you talk about mental health. Okay, yeah. so you yes. were, we were talking before we went to air. Yeah. Last night on the basketball court, and I, I felt so fit, I was dangerous because I felt like a young man again. And, you know, so for me in terms of mental health, I'll tell you what, if I'd had the same approach now as I had in the Wallabies, I would have played a lot more test and been a lot better player. Yeah. Probably wouldn't tell as good a story as me. I want to, um, uh, on this show, we have a lot of a lot of school parents who listen to, to the show, mm. um, and I ask every guest the same question. I would like to ask you too. Yeah. Um, Paul, what, what, what advice would you give to a young business person, entrepreneur right now, based um, on your experience? Uh, go and get a job, someone will pay you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, it's funny, I had a, someone in, occasionally people contact me and say, look, come in and talk to you, I've got some ideas and whatever, and I... I was lucky enough to – a lot of people were very generous in their time to me as I was sort of rising up in what I wanted to do. So I feel an obligation and very happy to share time with people. And the, the, the thing that struck me, and it's very relevant, he's only yesterday he's in, the, in there. He's, a, he's got a footprint in media. He's done a bit of TV and stuff like that. But he's – and I, when he told me everything he'd done, I said, how old are you? And he said, I'm 23. I was, like, taken aback. I said, mate, I hadn't I, – I, I don't think I'd had sex when I was 23. Like, you've done all this stuff, you know, like – my point is slow down. Sometimes it's everyone, younger folks are in a rush. Yeah. And just slow down and accept the fact that it's going to take time and be prepared to take risks and be prepared to zig when everyone else is zagging because mm. everyone's hurting that way. You've got to go the other way. And to that point, he said, oh, what do you think of the US? You went there. I said, mate, it's candy on a stick in sport. It's yeah. everything you want plus more. I said, if you're interested, go. Just turn up and scratch around and see what you can find. You can always come home and sprinkle some bull dust on your resume yeah. and say what you did over there, but there's opportunities. And, you know, I think people are, are risk-averse, I think, and naturally so. Um, and it's not about having capital. Entrepreneurship is not is about ideation, creativity, commitment and work. Just balls of the wall working hard. Yeah. And that's an ethic that's hard to comprehend sometimes. And I'm not sitting here saying I'm an old guy and all the young people can't do it. I'm astounded by what young people can achieve and how fast they can go, but it's hard to maintain that pace yeah. all the time and you know, have a long-term view. And, and in long-term, a guy 23-year-old is like, when am I at when I'm 28? You know? Pete, um, uh, what advice would you give to a young boy or girl who wants a career in professional sport? <laughs> I, I frequently give the advice. Yep. Don't. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> right, I don't. Okay, I mean, why? Because I remember Kiwa, Kieran Perkins yep. was the great... 1,500-metre swimmer of the 1990s. And i never forget something he said to me. I interviewed him just after he'd got gold at Barcelona. And he's, he's a good man, Kieran Perkins. I like him. And he's, you know, he's, as opposed to a lot of those swimmers, he's had a pretty good post, 
post-career. Mm. Um, and he said to me, I asked him, something had come up about a line of poetry or maybe it was a pol- politician of the USA and he said, his exact words, he said, Peter, you've got to understand that I spend six hours a day with mm. my head in a bucket of water staring at a black line. Mm. His point being, to achieve world-class form that he had, you had to devote yourself so single-mindedly to that particular skill that everything else fell by the wayside. That was early 90s. These days, we in sports journalism, we glorify, and rightly so, I guess, those who sacrifice everything that get the gold, and they do it. We completely forget about the 999 others out of the 1,000 that never make it, make make much the same sacrifices and don't get there. And I think for me, in terms of young people, what I advise young people is have a diversity of experience. So do this, do that, suck the juice from the marrow of life till it runs down your chin, don't worry if it's not pretty, but keep doing different things, have different experiences Mm. so you get different reference points of this works and this doesn't work. And the key, one of my roles is I'm pro-chancellor at Sydney University, which is not as glorified as it sounds. What Mm -hmm. it means is I hand out the degrees on behalf of the Chancellor yep. 10 or 15 times a year and I love it and one of the lines I say is congratulations today you've got your degree yep. but today's not the test of the right path you'll know the test is in five years time when you look to the clock on the wall on a Monday morning if it says 17 past nine and you immediately dot three carry mm. one and subtract two and work out that in three hours and 13 minutes you will be at lunch and at 2.30 you want it to be five o'clock so you can go home Wednesday you want it to be Friday so you can mm. go on the weekend <laughs> August you want it to be this for yeah. Christ's sake you're in the wrong gig keep going until mm. you find yourself in the gig where the key is this you want the clock to slow down mm. not speed up because you so love what you're doing. So in for me in the afternoons, I work from home. If I look to the clock and it's, you know, 2.30, go, beauty, you know, I've got, still got, you know, three yeah. or four hours before I have a little nap and go again. But <laughs> if it's, you know, it's getting dark and it's late, I say, geez, I haven't done enough. And you, I always want the clock to slow down when I'm writing because it, 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 I, I so much love what I'm doing and it doesn't feel like work. I dare say you'd feel the same. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where the day goes. I'm mm. busy, but, mm. you know, it's the old story, you know, like uh, do less, get more done. You yeah. know, I think we try to do too much. But I'll comment on the professional sports aspect and is that, the, you know, look, and the NBA, NBL is an interesting league. It's, it's, I call it an intersection league. Everyone's going somewhere. They, no one ever wants to play for your club all their career. It's not like a lifer. They always want to be better. They want to go to another league. They want more money. They want to get better as players, whatever. My focus is not the players. Is in terms of what I, as an owner of the team, I invest my time generally, but the key focus for me is the retiring players. I really double down on the players that are at that shoulder point. Yeah. Yep. And I've... I take great pride in the fact that, you know, there's three or four players in our, in our roster who are either retired now, but bringing them down to the realities of post-career. Yeah, it's not easy. Falling off a yep. the cliff that they fall off, the, they mm. go from being structured. Mm. A, a player in our roster, every minute of their day is structured. They know where to be. They could be doing this. It's free time, but don't eat this. Mm. Don't do that. Count your sleep. We need this. We need that. When that stops, they not only lose the social aspects of their being part of a team, but they lose the structure. Can, can we ask you, Shane, yeah. how did you go from Major League Cricket? You know, must have finished in your late 20s or early 30s. And you he announced- finished a lot earlier than that, but he didn't retire. <laughs> yeah, no, but did you, did you struggle? Um, I didn't at that time. Well, I retired at 29, so I had right. an 11-year career. Right. I know the average length of any sporting career 
is only four years across right. all sports. Can I ask you one yep. question? Did you retire or they retired you? No, I had a knee injury. Right. Um, I could have still played on as a batsman. Right. But it meant in my heart that I couldn't play in the Australian team as an all-rounder. So I didn't okay. – I'd also studied at Ben University um, mm. and I'd started a, a media business called Insight, mm. which was going quite well. So I had a – So you had, no time, yeah. you had no time spent under the doona on a Monday morning? Never, mm. never, no. And um, mm. and it's interesting when I chat with Brett about it because Brett said he had no backup plan. Um, and he said pretty much he was like doing part-time carpentry work and mm. putting kitchens together down mm. in Oak Flats. And he said he would have been stuffed if, he, if his career didn't kick on. But he said he liked he had no fallback position. Well, where, I always worry where, about where blokes. I, I, I worry about blokes who can play the piano. Yeah. They worry me a little bit. <laughs> They've always got something up their sleeve. <laughs> but as as a um, Brett's as you, a good tennis player. I'll give you that for nothing. Well, I think we're playing next week, aren't we? We are. Yep. I'm going to clean him up. Your brother's. A, I can give a report on your brother. Yep. He's a very very strong tennis player, but he's a little bit erratic. <laughs> he so he does six brilliant <laughs> shots. But if you can last him out for six brilliant shots, you be- good chance the seventh one will go over the back fence. Well, I've, I've got, I've got him. I'll say I've got him covered in tennis. He's never beaten he's, his life ever. He says yep. this is interesting because your brother is extremely athletic still, yes. isn't he? But he says you're a better player. Well, yeah, I, I played. That, that was one of the sports I went went into after after cricket. I played badge mm-hmm. tennis with Manly, so um, I love it. And I look, I was lucky enough to go over to to Wimbledon a couple of years ago with John Newcomb. Mm. Spent uh, some time sitting there watching. Watching uh, the tennis with him, which yeah. was I've, I've I've had a couple of well, I've had a quite a lot of people on the tennis court, and it's interesting. Mark Taylor, I name as him and Mark Bosnich are the two best reaction times that I've ever seen. Yeah. Taylor spent fourteen years at first slip. Bosnich spent time at Manchester United Open Goldmouth. Yeah, and you can have them at the net and smash the ball straight at them. And they've got time. They somehow can see the ball quicker than anybody, make the decision and go mm. and put it away. It's amazing anyone who plays a, a ball sport, I think, um, as you said before, you go into a gym and it can be, it can be a bit you know, arduous at first mm. and it can feel a bit tough. But you put a ball in, into the game, it changes everything. When did you last pick up a tennis racket? Um, I played tennis probably about a month ago. I'm going to clean you up. I look forward to it. I'll be reporting on the show the score as well. <laughs> but I want to um, I won't take much more of your time boys. I just want to thank thank you both for coming on the show. Um, it does mean a lot to me. I think it's really really important to to talk openly. I think as men we we self-diagnose a lot. Mm. Um, uh, and the stuff you're doing in and around your both your health and 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 confronting that sort of stuff I think is fantastic and I think people get a lot out of it. So. Things, things have changed in terms of mental yeah. health. My father had a problem with depression and yeah. I was 29 years old before I found out. So it yeah. was hidden. Mum kept it all from us and these days, mercifully, it's, it's much more open to yeah. talk about it and I think yeah. that's probably in terms of health is saying to somebody, listen, I'm struggling, I need help is, is the first step forward. And just going for a walk, I think just for me personally, it just improves my mood. Yeah, I Look, prefer no tennis cure. victory. I prefer big victories on the yeah. tennis court. Well, there's no cure. Just, you're a serve you volley man. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, they'll be coming back at your feet for sure. <laughs> they're, they're, they're always they're, they are continental forehand, but there's no cure for what we're in, what we're all confronting at times. And it, go and find what works for you. And so sometimes asking people, "Are you okay?" is sometimes they they're not okay, but they don't want to be say they're not okay. And yeah. You got to look. I look for signals. I look for people's behaviour or shoulder hunches and. Way they cope with things, and it's not about cuddling up. Then it's about giving them some breathing space and just showing that there's some respect there and there's an understanding. And there's no more important time than now with people being bottled up at home yeah. with, with this COVID. So, um, very oh. really good advice, boys. Oh, I know you're wrapping us up, but yeah. just a friend has got a got a somebody in 
her family struggling at the moment, trying to get into a mental health facility. And she said to me this morning, the booking times have gone out from three weeks to six weeks for the simple reason that because of COVID, mental health is a worse issue than ever. And there's unemployment issues, you know, financial issues, cooped up issues, and there is a real mental health crisis in the country because it's, of COVID. It's, a broader, it's broader, broader than that. Mm. There's The statistics speak, and I, I was talking to an oncologist a couple of weeks ago, and she was saying that in the United Kingdom, the current diagnosis rate for breast cancer in the United Kingdom is 50% of what it normally is. Mm. Yeah. People, oh, aren't going, people aren't going to get assessed. And so there's this, what would normally have been a routine examination, people go, I'm not going there, I don't want to get the COVID or whatever. So the potential risk is that there's this tsunami of health problems that are building up and yep. we just don't know what's coming. So we should finish on a happy note. Yeah. Did you yes, hear sir. about the bulletproof Irishman? Nope. His name, Rick O'Shea. <laughs> Hey, Paul, hey, Paul, just, Paul just before we go, Paul, Paul <laughs> just before we go, can yeah. you can you please call Pete um, Wednesday week after I whip his fucking little wobby ass? <laughs> oh, and I I on he, might be, he, he might be feeling a bit down, Put mate. Put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, what about that ugly brother of yours? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, boys. Thanks See for coming you. on the show. See you, Cheers, boys. Bye. That's it for Lunch with Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Peter Fitzsimons and Paul Smith. Thanks to Hilton Headley for your hard work and making things happen. And thanks to our sponsors, the Gin Society, Spartan Sports and O'Brien Beer. And a big thank you goes out to Lee's Fortuna Court in Crow's Nest, Sydney. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or where you get your podcasts from. And do us a favour, hit five stars. And if you're passionate, leave a review. Come check us out on social media. I'm at Lunch With Lee. Next week, we'll be checking some more complete legends to discuss more about music, sport and business on another Cracker episode of Lunch With Lee. We'll see you then. Summer.